I don't know that I ever really knew any of their stories, but I just knew that my mum and dad were helping them out or mm. that they were, they just needed a wee safe place to be. Hello and welcome to Six Degrees Coaching Authentic Leadership Podcast. On today's show we have Mel Wiggins. Mel is the project coordinator of Freedom Act. She is an activist, a writer, a leader and a visionary. Mel's married, she's a mom uh, of two kids and she's been involved in the charity sector for 15 years both in England and in Northern Ireland. She leads the team of Freedom Act. She inspires creativity. She has a strategic approach. And in 2017, Mel received an MBE from the Queen for her work in tackling human trafficking. She is deeply dedicated to keeping the work of Freedom Act relevant, preventative, and sustainable. And she is on the podcast sharing from her heart what it is to be a leader. So sit back relax and enjoy the show hello and welcome to six degrees authentic leadership uh, podcast Um, my name is Vinti Firth and on the podcast today we have Mel Wiggins Mel you are so welcome good to have you here it's very good to be here, even though I'm here and you're there. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like away over in Lurgan and you're in Portadown. Is that where you're from? Absolutely, yeah. There you go. The wonders of the Tinterweb. Yeah, I know. That makes all things possible. Mel, um, we're going to be spending some time together kind of figuring, figuring out what you're up to and in terms of your leadership and in terms of what uh, brings you alive and what you're passionate about. Um, so why don't we just kind of start with, um, can you just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what yeah. you're interested in, all that sort of lovely stuff. Um, Mel Wiggins and I am married to Dave Wiggins and I'm a mum to Levi uh, who's six and Ada who is one and a half and we live in Portadown. And I'm from here, but I spent a lot of time living in Canada. We immigrated, emigrated to Canada when I was eight. So I spent about 10 years living in Canada. Um, and I am a qualified youth worker and spent a lot of time doing youth work in kind of early out of degree type of years. Um, and then kind of in the more recent years have been um, looking at issues of human trafficking and exploitation and I'm the project coordinator of Freedom Acts which is a project that looks at, the, at those issues um, and it's based here in the Craigavon area and I'm also a writer and a blog, uh, my own website. Um, yeah, it's me. So you're, you're lots of things. <laughs> like it, lots of different yeah. hats. Tell us a wee bit more about Freedom Acts and, and the work that you guys do. You could tell me. Nah, <laughs> I know somebody who works there. <laughs> so Freedom Acts is a is a project that kind of developed about five, six years ago. So um, it kind of was birthed out of a 
um, a voluntary group that began uh, with myself and a friend of ours called Laura Wiley. Um, we were, Laura and I both had kind of had various exposure and interest in the issue of human trafficking kind of further afield for Laura in Asia and then myself in the UK. And we both found ourselves living in Northern Ireland in this area and, and interested in what that problem, that particular social justice issue looked like here. So spent a lot of time researching, um, talking to key people in our community about it and eventually decided that there was enough reason in what we had found out to, to, to do some real awareness raising about the issue locally and to kind of help expose some of that stuff to the general public. So Laura and I rallied a lot of our friends and lots of people who were interested as well into a volunteer group under the banner of Stop the Traffic, which is a big kind of global organization that uh, works in this issue as well. Um, and then eventually it felt like Laura and I were doing probably more to stop the traffic stuff than we were our own jobs at the time. <laughs> and uh, there was like a natural progression of, um, of us kind of really passionately and focused into it. There was a bit of a junction where our interest and passion met really good timing and lots of interest from the public and the government and statutory agencies and then opportunities with funding came up as well um, with community intercultural program uh, which is a project in the area that looks at issues that migrant people are facing locally um, whether that's needing support needing help being kind of included into the community and um, navigate uh, learning other languages, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of decided to, um, to launch a project really that was going to really focus on that and employ Laura and I to run that project. So that launched about five years ago now um, and since then has evolved loads um, and uh, because I think the issue that we look at evolves all the time. So our project has had to be very flexible and change with the emerging issues. And I think it was maybe about a year into it um, that a very intelligent, uh, lovely lady um, called Anita Firth. Uh, that, <laughs> Spot. Um, <laughs> she uh, decided to um, ask if there was any volunteer opportunities for her to, to be involved with Freedom Max and it wasn't long before we realised we needed needed to be on the team and um, and she yeah she's just been incredible and she's now a, a part-time member of the team as well so it's good to have her and then there's another guy called Ian who's part of our team also. So what were you doing just before Freedom Acts? Oh, so just before Freedom Acts, I just had a baby. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was, um, I had, Dave and I had been living in London for a year and I fell pregnant with Levi, just fell. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, and I, w I was working for the Prince's Trust in, okay. in London. Um, managing all their volunteers in the London and Southeast area. Yeah, so we decided to move home to have Levi and start our family and back in Northern Ireland. Um, so had Levi, spent 
my maternity leave, doing all this kind of stop the traffic voluntary stuff. Um, was working in a school uh, part-time as a teaching assistant and then was really, I guess it was just really to kind of bide my time to build in momentum to, to make Freedom Acts happen. So that's what I was doing mm-hmm. before that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, uh, I guess what kind of strikes me is that um, often our passions kind of find us. So we, we go out and we do something that we kind of enjoy and it kind of grows. And in your, in your case, it's grown and it's developed into a whole project that is impacting lots of different people and lots of communities and, and mm-hmm. making a sig- significant difference. But I guess part of me was thinking, what, what kind of helped you make that jump from where you were to actually pursuing something that was really important to you? I don't know. I feel like that is, that issue is something that has kind of threaded its way through my whole working career. Um, it just kept coming up, and um, you know, so my first job out of university was working for Oasis Trust in London. So I studied with Oasis Trust um, in London and did a youth work and theology uh, course with them, and then. I got a job with them on a schools team straight away and the office was kind of laid out as such it was all open plan and so we had this kind of the schools team had this corner and then the other corner one of the other corners um they were starting this kind of sub branch of oasis as a charity and that was stop the traffic that was starting in the, in the other corner of the office where I, I was working. So I was kind of party to that other team. And, and, you know, if you look back on my Facebook profile, if you look at my profile pictures, I think it might be one of the first profile pictures of me is of me in that office with a key on my hand, standing like this, because we were all, that was the very first campaign that Stop the Traffic ever did was to get, like I think they, they got like a million signatures about the abolition of slavery back, it was the anniversary of all of that, um, with Wilberforce and everything, and the year, it was the year that Amazing Grace, the movie, came out. And, um, so I just, it's just been something that has kind of, just kind of tapped away for a, a number of years, like that's now 12, 12 years ago that I was doing that, that Stop the Traffic started in that office. So, um, yeah, it was just, just been one of those really gradual things. And I don't know, I don't know where the jump came from or came, how that came about, but I think I felt, I think my, I think what's interesting is that my passion is always very local. Mm. So, um, while I was always interested in the bigger picture of this issue and know that it's very global and connected around the world, I think when I moved back to Northern Ireland and was really starting to see the impact of it locally in my community, that's, that's when the jump maybe happened because I'm, I'm very much a local focused person. I really mm. believe in the power of local communities. So mm. that's maybe how the jump happened. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking that, you know, 
for you to make that jump to follow to follow that passion to, or even just to see that need and to respond to it in the way that that you did that there's probably lots of people who see a need or see something that they can do something about but never actually move in that direction mm-hmm. um and and gosh there's probably lots of reasons why um but for you seeing the need in the local community was enough of a drive to to push you forward and to kind of pursue setting up freedom acts and yeah and that's and that's interesting you know when you say about other people um maybe feel really strongly about something but they would never take it to that level that's not that doesn't necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing sure it's not um but I think that certain personality types really show up in in certain in certain ways. Does that make sense? So for me, and this is only something that I've really realized in the last few years since I've done a lot of work, and I'm sure Anita can tell you about some of the stuff we've we've done as a team about looking at it where our individual strengths and um really unique attributes and abilities are and that and and for me like the top one that always comes out is that I'm an activator Uh, and so I am very I'm very much I'm like a dog with a bone in terms of ideas so I will absolutely be the one that at the end of the meeting will be like so what are we doing what's what is the next step how do we make that happen um and that's not and that's that can often I was thinking about our conversation and how we, what we were going to chat about today in terms of leadership. And, and I think that often people really mistake those type of personalities as the only kind of leaders. Um, and, that, and I probably would have thought that a few years ago, but it's not. It's those, that, is a, that is a certain type of leader, but it's not the only kind of leader. Um, and I absolutely... I absolutely get things done. I'm not ashamed to say that. I am a, definitely a doer. And there are, in StrengthsFinder talk, they, which is a, this kind of process of kind of unearthing your innate strengths. This, uh, it's, a, it's a resource that you can look at. Um, but they talk about your balcony and your basement to your strength. And, you know, so for me, the balcony to me being an activator is that I get stuff done and I, I, have, I bring momentum to things. Um, but the basement of that is I can be too quick to do that and I can, um, I can fob off other people's ideas because I have an idea of what that looks like or what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, it's really helped me see... Uh, what, what what leadership looks like is very very diverse yeah i love that distinction that you make mail because <clears throat> i guess for me anyway you know i used to have that perception that leadership is the upfront person the person that could be seen to be out there yeah. doing lots of things and, and being the kind of face of things but um a simple kind of quote that I came across and people don't really like it but it resonates true for me and um, this guy called John Maxwell and he says that leadership's influence nothing mm. more nothing less if you boil it down mm. um, and that to me uh, is a really 
really nice way or a good way of looking at leadership um, because we all have the ability to influence um, whether that's in our families whether that's in our workplaces and um, whether that's upfront doing things like you're doing and in, in driving uh, your project forward um, but we are all in a place in a position to to lead to lead others um, and the other the other thing I love like StrengthsFinders is amazing it's it's, it's brilliant um, and the the idea that our strength can also be um, a weakness so there's a there's a upper and there's a lower part to, to our strength um, is really insightful really insightful so um, I'm curious then for you as your top strength being an activator um, if you take us back to male Wiggins well you, you wouldn't have been male Wiggins back then uh, back, back in the day um, so take us back to when you were um, kind of younger let's let's go teenage years what what type of male would we bump into <laughs> how would you describe the male of of yesteryear yeah hmm. i was probably there were probably some similarities but without any wisdom <laughs> <laughs> love so, it Tell us more about that. That sounds interesting. I'm very much an activator, you know. I remember um, as a as a teen um, in our high school, there was loads of us who were Christians and were really like really close, but we were all from loads of different churches, and so we all just used to go to each other's youth groups all the time. And um, you know, there's a bit like I mean, like forty of us that all hung out together, and like. God help our parents because we always ended up at somebody's house after <laughs> fellowship or whatever it was. Um, and it was, you know, some of the best days of your life. But um, I remember like being really sad that, the, that there was never anything in our town, this is in Canada, um, that would bring all the, like the young people, the youth together. And so I started like a, basically like CE and in, in Portadown is like this kind of, I guess, Christian youth event night on a Saturday night or whatever. I basically started, decided I was going to start that, me and my friends. Um, and so, and we were going to have it at my church building. And I remember coming up against several of the older leaders in the church who just were like, no, you can't do that and you're going to make a mess and you're going to you know um but I was ballsy about it really ballsy and I think you know we can lose that ballsiness now there, like I said there was time there were times within that process of starting that there was like hundreds of kids coming like on a Saturday night to it and it was just me thinking that I could do it and it was super ballsy at the time, but I didn't think that at the time. Mm. I was just like, no, we need to get our friends, all of us together, to, you know, to, you know, when I was arranging speakers and most of the time, like my dad was called in to do a wee talk, you know, <laughs> um, and we'd, you know, but it was a real, like, I just like brought my friends along to, and made them help me out and do things, but yeah. um, stuff like that. You know, you kind of forget about, but it actually really 
mirror so much of who you are now as well. Like it was always there that like, I don't see it happening, so I'm going to make it happen. That was just so my personality, mm. you know. And you say there that, you know, you had this belief that you can just, you can, you can do it. Yeah. Um, that that's I think that distinction is really important because how many people see something and go oh, I can't do that why me sure I- yeah and I think that that has faded in me at times hmm. and I think that that's normal and a normal part of the kind of teething process of becoming a grown-up hmm. um, and also when your responsibilities are divided in so many different ways as a parent and a wife and a leader of other things and whatever else, sometimes you can wane a bit in your confidence because you're not as thrown into something as you mm. once were. You're more divided. You're, mm. you're like, do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're spread across several things yeah. where you're, where you're needed. You can feel like you're kind of half doing a lot of things and you're not really the expert or the, you know, really fully going full throttle at one thing. And that can, but I do feel like that male who was more ballsy and just was going for it is emerging a little bit more these days. And I, you know, I attribute a lot of things to that. Um, But yeah, interesting. Mm. What, what things do you attribute to that? Um, I attribute wanting to be a good role model for my kids to that. Um, and I feel like my parents were very, very good at that. Um, I, never, I, I, grew, I never grew up with a feeling like I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Um, but, you know, there was nothing that I couldn't have a go at or there was never any real like shame around failing at something Hmm. um and I think that gave me like a real courage maybe um and also I just seen my my parents modeling out lots of things that have been very formative for me you know like their you know their inclusion of people like my dad was a social worker and um, and then latterly a pastor um, and my mum as well is really involved in, in social work as well and there's just always random people at our house I don't know that I ever really knew any of their stories but I just knew that my mum and dad were helping them out or mm. that they were they just needed a wee safe place to be mm. you know and so I think for me, yeah, one of the driving forces of me feeling more ballsy at this stage of my life is wanting to be a good role model for my kids. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, and then I also think, and I wrote a blog about this last week, uh, and I just think as a woman, as a female, I really feel like I feel a responsibility to own what I do and um, and I think that that and I think that that can kind of take two different lives in some ways and how people respond to you as a female that is maybe going for it in their business or in their passion and some people will be triggered by that and find that hard to swallow that somebody can be quite confident about who they are Um, 
but that's not that's never really about the, that person it's usually about the person feeling triggered isn't it um, or it can and this is my hope is that for people who are have healthily kind of worked out themselves a little bit that it can help them feel a bit more free for them to do the same and mm. um, for them to kind of be brave or be vulnerable and put themselves out there or follow their passion or whatever mm. um so i feel a bit of a responsibility to make that mm. a bit of a what what do you think it what do you think it's like i mean i'm not i'm not a woman no. I hope you can tell. <laughs> that this is really interesting interesting to me. Um but I, I can't claim to know what it's like to be a woman who is pursuing your passion and being everything that they're called to be. What's it like to be somebody to be a woman in that place? I guess is my question. Well, you know, I guess there, it sounds like there's challenges that come with that. I think there is because I think it's not something that we are seeing enough of. So mm-hmm. we there there that that definitely comes with some people maybe being a bit like, hmm, she's she's going for it, or she's certainly you know putting herself out there. Um, which is is fine. I understand that's that's a thing, but I think um, and I think that there's universal stuff for whoever you are that's trying to lead or to um, establish yourself in some way, and um, that is that is very vulnerable um, to put yourself out there. But I, you know, I love. I don't know if you've read any of Brene Brown's books but she just you know to me I that's the thing that I cling to in terms of my leadership is that courage only comes from vulnerability and that you have to you have to allow yourself to be um to put yourself out there and you know she talks about um I can't remember the quote is it Abraham Lincoln no Roosevelt I can't remember who about being in the in the ring, being in the ring. So Roosevelt. Yeah, so it's all it's all about like, you know, don't don't listen to the critic, um, who who jeers at you from outside of the ring, um, you know, the only voice that matters is anyone else who is also in in the ring, you know, like putting themselves out there and and it's just showing up and being in the ring that is the most courageous thing. Um yeah, so I'm I think for a woman it's it's that it's not it's just not as common to see women going for it and being confident about who they are. Mm. You know? Yeah. That it that it can be a little more vulnerable for us to do that and have have the voice in our head of what do people think? Do they think that because I'm doing this that I'm neglecting my family? Do they think that because I'm doing this that I just want to be a money maker? Do they think that, you know, like it's, it's trying to drown all that stuff out, out in your head and, um, and, and really own your gifts and your abilities and your passions, you know? How do you how do you begin to drown that 
that voice. You mentioned two things there about owning your strengths and your passions is, is one way of, of doing that. I think, I think for me, it's, <clears throat> and again, this is something that I've picked up from, from Brene Brown's um, research and her, her talking about vulnerability. I think for me, it's drowning those voices out gets easier when I know whose opinions of me matter. So there are very few... There are very few people whose opinions really matter to me anymore. <laughs> that takes a long time and I'm not there yet, but I think, and I think that there's this really great, I can't remember where I saw it. I think it, it might've been Brene again, saying Brene. I love her so much. I really Absolutely. can't get enough. Um, when someone just becomes this like, yeah, I just, everything she says resonates with me and my personality but um she, or maybe it was an interview she did with somebody else but they talk about these concentric circles so for me like and I've, I've tried to adapt this with what I do with Freedom Acts what I do with my blog and writing and all that kind of stuff um and they, they talked about how you know really there's there's this concentric circle so this circle in the middle of of people that really matter that who's who are like your safe people who are going to really be your encouragers you know that they're not people who want to give you like hard truths because i think that hard truths are more, often more hard than true and <laughs> um, and i think that actually when we're really putting ourselves out there to do to lead and to do work that matters we need we initially need to share that with people that we know are going to be really gentle with us mm. I don't care what anybody else says I really that really rings true for me I don't want to hear criticism right away with something that is so fragile to me and so mm. vulnerable mm. I need someone really safe to share that with first mm. and I think once I get that confidence from that I'm happy to share it maybe to another concentric circle of people that I know have my back, but maybe could just say, you know, I was wondering if maybe you, maybe you could change the language of this bit a little bit more, or maybe you guys could try and do this differently. Still gentle, still, I still know that their heart is for me or for the project or whatever. And then gradually. And so by the time it gets out there and it's gone to, you know, however many followers you have on social media or whoever is um, part of the following of Freedom Acts or whatever, it doesn't really matter anymore what they think mm. because you're so comfortable with it yourself. Mm. So that that's one way is that, that I think that for, a for me as a female especially, drowning out those voices of what are other people going to think is getting really, really clear about whose whose opinions really matter to you. Yeah, yeah, love that, love mm. that. Because the um, not a Mel Wiggins original way of thinking. I've definitely heard that somewhere and and adapted that for myself. But I really, really like that. I really like that. I yeah. feel like it's really healthy. Do you think? <clears throat> do you think the uh, the inner circle that you talk about? Um, the people that are 
and are at the kind of center of your circle. You're saying for you that those people, for you anyway, kind of you need them to be loving and caring, gentle with your vulnerability. Um, is would that be different for other people? Do you think? Do you think some people could manage having being vulnerable and having an inner circle of Critics. Critics. <laughs> I don't sound right to me actually. When you start speaking of it, it doesn't doesn't feel right to me. But maybe I'm a bit like you. But what what do you think? I don't know. I just know for me, um, just you know, for instance, you know, like I've just launched my very first e course for families that want to kind of be more tuned in to doing good in the world. So how do how do parents look at? big world issues with their kids. So I've just launched an e-course about that. And it's the first time I've ever asked for anybody to pay for mm. any of my work. So I've been blogging and writing for about, you know, 12 years. And I've never ever asked for anybody to pay for anything that I've written. Um, and so I felt super vulnerable about that. And, you know, I, I, I wrote a, you know, a sales page for that course. And I must have like gone over it and rewritten it and tweaked it and hashed over it, you know, 40 squillion times until I was like happy to even present it to Dave, you know, and was just like, would you read that and say, what do you think? You know, and, and I think that my husband and I like to think, you know, I, it's it's he knows that's such a vulnerable thing for me to do as confident as I can be and as assured I am that I am you know I'm able to deliver this course and I know what I'm talking about it's still you're still putting yourself out there and mm. for him I think he's you know he senses that and is able to be very what I need at that time he's like well it sounds great you know you're you're gorgeous <laughs> um and uh, he's like this is you know this is great i think you'll you know you've, you've got loads you know but he'll maybe throw in a small suggestion yeah. and i can totally take it because i know he loves me i know yeah. that he's for me um so for me absolutely like mm. i need the I need the safe place first before yeah. I can. And I love, the other thing I love about what you're talking about is, um, you know, there is the idea, you know, surround your, as, as leaders, surround, surround yourself with people who kind of call the greatness out of you or inspire you to, to greatness. Um, but this, look, this to me, you know, is looking at it from another angle, which is your, the greatness is still being called out. out of you and from you um but it's almost like really nurturing and protective of um of the person if that makes any sense mm -hmm. um and i think one of the things that stop us from moving in the direction of our passions or moving in the direction of um it's often like putting ourselves out there the thing that stops us is what are people going to think and what are people going to say? Mm -hmm. So I, I love what you're saying in terms of just listen to the people who are important mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The or the people who are in the ring with you. Um, exactly. That's the other thing as well is, 
you know, people who are also putting themselves out there, I think that's, those are, those are people who you can go to who can be part, maybe part of that concentric circle somewhere in the middle, you know, where you can get that feedback from them. But, you know, I don't really want to hear the opinions of somebody who's not invested in me or investing in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might, that might sound a bit firm, but that is, that is how I have healthy boundaries. I think, what do you do if you open yourself up to, I just couldn't go there. Yeah. I just couldn't take that on. Yeah. Yeah. So the boundaries for you are, are important. All right. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I think in, when I was thinking about our conversation, you'd asked me about like, who, who were some of your influences in terms of leadership? And, I, you know, I couldn't really specify a whole lot of people. Um, but what I, could all, could I, what I could always specify is what I didn't see as good leadership, what always made me feel uncomfortable about leadership. And it was people who, I, who were really big important seeming speakers out front all of that but I never like they were they were all over the world or they were all over you know work things but I never felt like they exposed any of how they lived their normal lives or I never felt like they were spending time with their families or and to me that I never, I knew I never wanted to be that kind of leader. Mm. I never wanted to be a leader that just was on the go all the time and didn't have any balance or boundaries. And I always felt like that. And it has been true. Most of those people who are the kind of atypical leader of a movement or a church or a charity or whatever, most of the ones that I can think of have had major burnouts Mm. um, or have had major crisis happen in their career um or have eventually made some really really bad decisions and like that's not to be ungracious about that or like well see but <laughs> you know yeah i i always i always sensed that 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 their life doesn't seem enjoyable like what yeah. what is that all about it seems like it's all about the one thing and it's not and i don't see any boundaries Hmm. around that you know what what are some of the boundaries that you have for for yourself then Mel I I don't have this nailed yet I don't um but I am getting better at not responding to phone calls and emails when I'm off so it's especially, I think, when you work in the charity sector and you're really working with high need of, you know, or like more urgent stuff, it can really feel like it all hangs on you taking that call or you answering that email. And it's just not healthy for anybody to promote that culture. So I'm getting better at not... at even if I see that email, I probably need to take it a step further and figure out a way to not see them at all when I'm off. Um, but not responding when I'm off. That's, that's one thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. In terms of boundaries, that's a big one. Yeah, and I think, <clears throat> yeah, I remember trying to work through that one myself. And do you know what? Working for myself, I'm probably um, worse than I've ever been. Yeah, skills and, uh, and stuff. So yeah. um, I th- I, what I found interesting for me when I was going through it, that it actually was a <laughs> new uh, hinted at it there, that sometimes it can be more about us and, and our desire to be need- needed and wanted <laughs> than yeah. it is about the email yeah, and the class. What? It's a hero complex. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of, I think when you get into the the charity sector, especially, and I know this in youth work, especially, and it's it's often in those roles where it's very relational, mm. and you feel like you're the you're the linchpin to this person's success, survival, happiness, thriving. You know, and mm. it's. And that can be easily passed down in a model from your leader, you know, or the people that you have kind of worked under and stuff. And it's a really hard, it's a really difficult model to reverse mm-hmm. in an organization. Um, but it's worth, it's worth having a go at because I think mm. it's, it's, not, it's not healthy. Mm not healthy and it doesn't set a good example and it isn't actually it doesn't actually do anyone any good because the people that you're that you're supporting or you're helping or you're working with you know that doesn't enable them to stand on their own or to you know there's a dependency there that can be created all of that stuff you know all of that though mm. for you Mel we're just ki- Coming towards the end here. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about, <clears throat> is there, can you think back to a, a kind of defining moment when, maybe already mentioned it, I'm not sure, a defining kind of leadership moment that shaped you the most or impacted you or influenced you the most? Hmm. <clears throat> Um, it's really hard to speak in moments, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> because so much shapes you and the people you meet and the, mm. um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there is a moment. I feel like what has shaped me the most is understanding myself better. I think that is what's defining me more mm. as a leader is getting to know myself better and realizing that, yeah, that that it's that it's absolutely okay to be who you are and you can you can build on on that, um, and that can be hard work to face yourself and who you are and the things that you're you're you know, that you struggle with and the things that other people find difficult about you and all of that, but it's so worth doing. You know, I suppose that's why you coach is, you know, to help people get to the heart of that because that is where you are able to lead in a much freer, more confident way is when you understand yourself a bit better, why you do the things you do, why you're triggered by some ways of working and not others, why you 
um, gravitate to certain tasks more than others, why certain things frustrate you, you know, that understanding all of that is very, is very defining, mm-hmm. I think. And it comes with a lot of vulnerability, and a lot of courage and hard work. Mm-hmm. So now last, last question. And uh, the only reason I'm asking this is because uh, you just said it two seconds ago. And I was like, wow, that's a really good question to ask Mel Wiggins. Oh, no. <laughs> so Mel, why, why do you do what you do? Hmm. So the courses, the blogging, the inspiring, the Freedom Acts. I think because I totally believe 100% that when people, when people are doing what they feel passionate about, when that passion is directed in a way that helps other people, that serves other people, and that is done in a healthy way for you and your family, that it is the most impactful way to change the world, to change a community, um, to change someone else's life it can only happen when when you are very true to who you are hmm. that's why I do what I do because I would I would implode if I didn't <laughs> I just don't I think that and that's is probably not a great sound bite to finish on but I feel like <clears throat> When you, when you aren't doing the thing that makes you come alive, um, parts of you die off and can make you very resentful. Mm. Um, and I think that I, I, I never want to take that risk. I never want to take that risk of um, coming to a certain stage in my life and wishing that I had been more honest about who I was or more brave about decisions um yeah that's why i do what i do it's 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 a lot it's a lot of things yeah yeah really it's really it's about being your truest self because that's the only way you're going to be useful to anybody else love it mel absolutely amazing thank you so much Um, listen if people want to find out more about you and what you're doing. Give us a quick, what, where can people go? How can people connect with you? Well, if you're interested, if you're in Northern Ireland and you're interested in uh, learning more about what human trafficking, exploitation looks like here, um, you can head to freedomax.co.uk. That's our website. It's getting a bit of a revamp. Um, and then you can um, catch me as a person on my website and my blog and the courses that I'm delivering or working on online and all that kind of stuff on melwiggins.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Mel. And if you guys want to find out more about what we do, hop online and go to www.sixdegreescoaching.com and find out all about our workshops, our one-to-one coaching, our work with men. And guys, remember, to lead authentically from the inside out. Until next time, see you guys there. Bye.